All right, so let's jump in here. We are in a series called The Moment That God Changes Everything. There's several moments in Scripture after which life will never be the same, and, and this is one of my favorite ones. This is from Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. It's a story of the prodigal son, and the, the, the is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture and exists on many, many, many levels. So... Um, if you guys are not familiar with the prodigal son, man has two sons, an older brother, younger brother, younger brother. I'm the younger brother. I get this. We, we're, we're a little foolish. And he says, Dad, give me all my money. Give me all my inheritance right now. And so he, and then he packs up his stuff and heads over for where the grass is greener. It's always greener on the other side. So he goes over there, spends all of his money in wild living, parties it up, and then all of a sudden he's destitute, he's broken, and a famine hits, and he starts to starve, and he hires himself out to a, a citizen of, another, of, the, of the country to feed pigs, and he begins to envy what the pigs are eating. Anyone ever fed pigs before? Anyone ever seen what pigs eat? When you are envious of what pigs are eating that is what is known as rock bottom okay that is bad and he and the bible says he comes to his senses and he says how many hired people in my father's house have food to spare and here i am starving to death i'm gonna head on back i'm not gonna claim sonship i'm gonna i'm not even gonna say dad put me back in the family say just make me like one of your servants because anything is better than here and as he he goes back his father runs out to meet him and he says you're, you're back in the family and they throw a party for him and the older brother uh gets mad and says i can't believe you're throwing this party for him that's basically the story. If you didn't know that, that's basically the story. And what we can learn from this, this moment that God changes everything, the first thing we learn is this, is that God doesn't stop you from wrecking your life. That we have to understand this. A lot of us operate like God is some, some helicopter parent that is waiting. We're just kind of going along the way, and if I start screwing up too much, God will fix it. No, that's not what happens. God does not stop you from wrecking your life. Luke 15, uh, verse 12 through 13, the young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set up for distant, distant country, and squandered his wealth and wild living. So why do we head for the distant country? Why do we do that? A distant country can be defined as any area of our life where we are, have walked away from God. Your entire life may be the distant country, or just a part of your life could be the distant country. All right? Many times I'll, I'll talk with people and they find out that I'm a pastor, and they say, well, they're very glad to tell me they don't believe in God. And I, I, I ask them to tell me about Him. And most of the things they say are so outlandish that I basically say, well, I don't, I don't believe in that either. Um, see, some head for the distant country because they're sure God is an unreasonable father. He's unreasonable. Um, he, staying, staying with God, they believe, is just causing them to miss out on life. It's so, the, the party's over there and I got to stay here. I'm missing out. All right? God has a long list of rules. Just take all the fun out of life. And God, God's ways is too restrictive and narrow. And he's basically up in heaven looking at us saying, you can't be doing that. All right, so some, some believe God is an unreasonable father. Uh, uh, some head for the distant country because they're sure God is an unpleasable father. He's unpleasable. He's not just unreasonable. He's unpleasable. All right? Uh, it, it, like, we'll never measure up. 
just never measure up, so why even try? Um, whenever they hear, heard about God in church or, or, or maybe from a, from a family member, it, it just seemed like he was always frustrated with you. Always shaking his head in disappointment, you know, always just, just kind of scratching his head saying, why can't you get this right? And just not getting it done. And so you think that God's unpleasable, so why even try? Some head for the distant country because they're sure God is an unmerciful father. That he's just waiting for you to screw up and bam, he's going to send you, he's going to lightning bolt you. You know, that, that they see, see God as maybe a sociopath who, who enjoys inflicting pain on people. Um, you know, he's, he's just waiting for you. Like in Bruce Almighty, he, he believes that God's a, a, a kid with a magnifying glass frying ants on the anthill. That's what a lot of people, that's why people head for the distant country, because they think he's an unmerciful father. I invited a guy to church once, and I kid you not. He said he wouldn't come because he didn't want the lightning bolts God threw at him to destroy the building. Now, some head for the distant country because they're sure God is just an uncaring father. Uncaring father. God wasn't there for them when they needed him, they feel. They felt like. I get that. I felt like that before. Um, and maybe he's just an impersonal force that may help some people, but just not them. So they left for the distant country and never looked back. I was talking to an acquaintance in college, and he summed up his relationship with God with these exact words. He goes, I don't do nothing for him, and he don't do nothing for me. And that's the way it's going to be. I was only 18 years old when I heard that, and, and I, I wish that I would have pursued further. Now at age 46, I would, I would like to pursue that further, but I didn't. Whatever the reason, the parable makes it clear we head for the distant country for one reason, though. For one reason. It's not because of what's over there. It's because we don't like what's here. That we are rejecting our Father. Get this. Because heading for the distant country is a relational break. It's a relational break. It's not, hey, just it's so much greater. I kind of like this over here, but it's better. Over, no, no, no. I don't like what's here. And I'm walking away. Get that. Okay? It's our rejection of God. And the father of, in this parable doesn't stop his son from walking away. He doesn't stop him. Isn't that interesting? Um, I'm, I mean, it's very true. God doesn't stop us from walking away from him. He doesn't bar the gates. He doesn't lock us in a room. He doesn't stop us. And why? Why wouldn't he stop us from wrecking our lives? Well, plain and simple. There's a thing called respect. God's respect for you. He doesn't treat you as a child who needs to be fenced in. He treats you like he wants to be treated. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but God wants to be chosen. God wants for us to look at the distant country, look at all the things that we could be doing, the party, the everything like that, that all the temptations out there, and he wants us to look at that and choose him. That's what he wants. And if you go with the other options, then he lets you. But remember this, he has other options too. He doesn't have to love you. He doesn't have to create you. He doesn't have to sustain you. He could strike you dead right now and will have done you no wrong. He has other options too, but yet he chooses you. Just remember that, okay? Most of the time, people head for the distant country because of incorrect perceptions of God. And that's why we as church, we need to be powerful in our communities, making sure people really know who God is. 
But that's, that's why he doesn't stop you from wrecking your life. And that's why, number two, God lets us experience the full consequences of our sins. That's the second thing we learn in this, in this passage here, in this, in this uh, parable. Verse 14 through 16, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. So you guys, what I found at age 46 is whenever someone heads for the distant country, inevitably they're going to be in desperate need of help. Okay, it's, 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 it's inevitable, it's coming. If it hasn't hit, it's going to. And they're, they're in desperate need of help. It's the same story you'd think we'd learn. I got a phone call from a young man one time that was in one of my youth ministries. He was a good kid, I really liked him a lot. He graduated high school and convinced himself he was missing out. God was an unreasonable father. And so he left home and went wild. He got addicted to pills. And then when the pill mills got shut down, he got addicted to heroin. He called me from his car where he'd been living for a couple weeks. He was destitute. He was broke. He was addicted. And I, this isn't my first rodeo, you guys. Um, I knew that the fact that he was calling me, I hadn't seen him in years meant that he had a long list of people and he had already burned all these bridges. And his list was getting really, really, really short towards the bottom and I was on it. Well, Rachel and the kids were visiting relatives that weekend and so it was just me in the house. So I said, come on over and stay with me one night. You stay one night. He showed up and I'll never forget what he looked like. He was shaking and sweating. He was in severe heroin withdrawal. Never seen a more pitiful sight, guys. Red eyes from lack of sleep, smelled bad, just shaking uncontrollably. Um, he ate like he hadn't had a meal in days, and he probably hadn't. We stayed up and we talked for a long time. It was time for bed. I told him to sleep downstairs, and then I said, give me your keys. He said, why? And I said this, because if you steal anything, it'll be only what you carry, and I'll have your car. I'll keep it. I know you won't report it stolen. It'll be mine. He handed them over, and then he started to cry. Just broke down and started to cry. And I asked him why he was crying. I knew why he was crying, but I asked him why, and he admitted, like I suspected, that he'd given me the sob story, hoping to get into my house, rob me blind, and leave in the middle of the night. That's how low he had sunk that he would do that. That is what is known as rock bottom. That is what is known as living in the pigsty. This is where this young man was. I had never seen rock bottom like I saw in that young man. He said, I have no one else. His life choice has destroyed every relationship with friends, family, acquaintances, everyone had cut him out of his life. He was literally in the pigsty, longing to fill his stomach with pig slop, but no one gave him anything. See, God let this young man experience the full 
consequences of his actions. And he will allow you to do the same thing. He will allow you to leave for the distant country. And he will allow you to experience the full consequences of them. Why? Because he wants us to suffer? No, that's not why. It's because he has bigger plans for you than the party and the pigsty. He has a plan for you found in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is his goal for everyone because he wants everyone to be saved. And sometimes people, and I don't know why we are this way, but some of us have to be in the pigsty before we'll come to repentance. True? How many of us have been there? We're looking at a church full of them, by the way. No, I don't want to see hands, but I know everybody's stories. We've all been there. And that's why we're here, because God allowed us to go experience what life was like without him. And it, we, he allowed us to experience the full consequences of that. And we said, we don't want this anymore. We want something better. And we've come to repentance. That's what God wants for you. And the prodigal son destroyed his life. And what he found out is something a lot of us have found out. If you haven't found this out yet, you will. That when God is all you have, you find out God is all you need. This may be my favorite sentence in the entire Bible coming up. It's certainly from a pastor's standpoint, a dream come true. It's what we live for, this next sentence, this next part in Scripture. It's, my, I, I, it's rapidly becoming my favorite sentence in all of Scripture. It's number three. It says, when he came to his senses... Oh, we pastors live for that moment when people come to their senses. I love it, the, 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 but the problem is that sometimes it takes a long time for us to happen. Um, how many of you all are heavy sleepers? Like you can sleep through a marching band going through your room. How many of you all parents have kids that are like that? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Well, um, as we read this story, we wonder what took this guy so long. Could he not see the money dwindling away? Could, could he not see, hear the alarm bells going off? How could, how could he sleep through this alarm going off? Well, I have to let you all in a secret. It's an unpopular opinion, and, and some of you all may get mad at me for saying this. I want to shoot the person that invented the snooze button. I hate the snooze button. My wife uses a snooze button. And... And every, every 10 minutes, wakes me up. She'll need to get up at 7.30. She'll set the alarm at 7 o'clock, hit the snooze button three times. Like, why don't you just set the alarm at 7.30 and wake up? Oh, no, 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 no. I would rather hit the snooze button. And every time I start to fall back asleep, it, it wakes me back up. I hate the snooze button. The prodigal son, however, likes the snooze button. The alarms were going off, right and left. But he kept hitting snooze. See, I see that strategy a lot in people. Hit the snooze button. How many of us are doing that right now? You're in a place where you don't need to be, and alarm bells are going off. People are telling you things. People are, are, are imploring you, uh, life situation. But hit the snooze button so you don't hear the alarm. You know, looking for temporary things to delay the inevitable. Maybe you're an addict going down the list of names, people you can exploit, and the list is getting short. And you know it, and it's going to run out soon, but you keep hitting the snooze button. 
Maybe you're spending money at an unsustainable rate, racking up debt that you can't afford. You hate your statements, and you, you get a statement, and you throw it away. Hit snooze button so you can keep going. Maybe you're in a relationship that does not honor God whatsoever, and you know it, and your friends know it, and your family knows it, and they're trying to tell you, hit snooze button so you don't hear the alarms going off. Uh, maybe you're partying up with people that do not have your best interests at heart, and it's taking you down a path you don't need to be going down. You know it's wrong, and the alarm bells are going off. Holy Spirit is convicting you. Snooze button. Sound familiar, you guys? Maybe you're way too emotionally close to someone that's not your spouse, and you know it, and it's dangerous, and it's taking you in a place where you don't need to go, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Boom, hit the snooze button. So I can't hear the alarm. That's what the prodigal son did. He saw the money going. Dwindling, 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 dwindling. Alarm bells going off, hit snooze button, because I'm just having too good a time. Saw it getting lower and lower, lower and lower, and the alarm bells went off, hit snooze button. Money was completely gone, the alarm bells really gone, hit snooze button. Hired himself out to feed pigs, alarm went off, the alarm now shouting, you are the son of a rich and, and, and prosperous man, and now you're feeding pigs, now you're starving. Hit the alarm, hit the Hit the, hit the snooze button. And finally, he couldn't hit the snooze anymore. The snooze quit working. The alarm just kept going and going and going and going. And he tried to hit the snooze and it didn't work. And he had to wake up. And for the same thing will happen to all of us. The snooze button one of these days is going to stop working. And you're going to wake up and you're going to look around at the devastation that your life has become and you're going to say the same thing that every person says. How did it get this far? True? For all of you hitting the snooze button, delaying the inevitable, you'll learn the same thing the prodigal son learns. Hitting snooze simply drove him deeper and deeper and deeper. Listen to the alarm bells. Listen to the people around you. When they go off, they're going off for a reason, those alarm bells. Finally, we couldn't hit snooze anymore. The Bible says, like I said, in the most beautiful sentence in the world, when he came to his senses. This is one of the most joyful moments in Scripture, I think. When he came to his senses. If any of you have ever been the prodigal son, you know the joy of that moment where just the fog cleared and you realized where you were and how much better things were back with God and the, the joy of just turning around and leaving and like going back. If you've ever had a son or daughter, parents, whose who's, your child has walked away from the faith, and all of a sudden, man, there's a knock on the door at Thanksgiving, and there's your child. I'm back. You know the joy of that moment? You know, if any of you have uh, had a friend who's wrecked his life, and, they, and they've come to that moment when they came to their sense, you know the joy of that moment. It's awesome. And this is a moment that God changes everything. Because three things happen in this son, in, in, in this prodigal son, that have to happen to us for us to come to our senses, okay? Okay? Listen, these three things have to happen if we're to come to our senses too. The first thing is this, is that he realized how messed up he is. You think this is, this is obvious, but it's not. Luke 15, 17 through 19. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The first step to coming to your senses is to realize your true state. If you're still making excuses, you guys, you haven't come to your senses. If you're still trying to rationalize, you haven't come to your senses. If you're still blaming other people, you haven't come to your senses. 
Oh, it's my spouse's fault. Oh, it's my friend's fault. It's my employer's fault. If they weren't such da-da-da-da, I wouldn't be here. If you're doing that, you haven't come to your senses yet. Prodigal son looks in the mirror the first time in his life. He realizes that he is the cause of his problems. No excuses. No rationalizations. No blaming. You have to realize your true state. But that's not enough, not nearly enough. He has to do two more things. A lot of us have come to that moment but haven't done the next two, okay? Um, For us to truly come through our senses. The second, he has to realize how good his father is. All right, this is the key point. I've read this parable a million times and I didn't realize this until I read it this week when I was preparing for this. He, He got up and in verse 20, he got up and went to his father. Where did he go? Back to the old homestead, back to the place where it felt like home, back to the family, back to the place where it all made sense. No, no, no. Where did he go? More specifically, who did he go to? He went to one place, and that was his father. Don't miss that. See, the moment he came to his senses wasn't just a realization that he needed to change. A lot of us have been there. I've seen a lot of people who know they needed change. They didn't take the step. The biggest change was when the prodigal son, within the prodigal son was this. Prior to this moment, he only wanted what his father could give him. Don't miss this. He only wanted security, material things, money, blessings, uh, the farm. He only wanted what his father could give him. Remember the, the first thing he says, give me my share of the inheritance. Father, I just want what you can give me. All that's gone. When he came to his senses, he wasn't asking for the old man's stuff. He, said, he went from valuing what his father could give him to valuing the father. He went back to his father. Okay? This come to your senses moment isn't just a desire to get out of the consequences of your actions or, or to make life better. Not even a desire to change what's wrecked your life. It's seeing and knowing that you went to a distant country because you walked away from God. And it was a relational break, and only a relational healing will, will, will bring you back. That is the realization that this prodigal son moment has everything to do with the Father, with God. Okay? So the, 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 the third thing is that he no longer wants what his Father can give him. He wants his Father. That's it. That's the key. And I'll tell you why here in just a second. Verse 20 and 21, but while he was still a long way off, father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Until that moment happens, you haven't truly come to your senses. See, there are plenty of people I've met at rock bottom. I've met at rock bottom. They never move to valuing God. They just want what God can give them. Maybe get out of this jail sentence or get me off this substance or make me feel better about whatever. Save my marriage. They never get around to simply valuing God above all else. And that's why those people inevitably return to the pigsty. Time and time and time again. Have you ever seen that? You ever seen somebody wreck their life and then come back and then six months later wreck their life again and come back? and wreck their life again. Have you seen that? It's like a big yo-yo. I've seen that. It's because they never came around to valuing the Father. 
Only a relational restoration with God will fix these things. When, there's, when you are ready to come back, there's a problem. There are two brothers in this story. One is called the older brother. Older brother is uh, not real happy that the younger brothers come back. Check this out in verse 20 through 30. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You throw him a party. Now remember, when you... Begin valuing your father when you come back from the distant land. Just remember, not everybody's going to be happy about it. You have to know that. Not everybody's going to celebrate. Not everyone will believe that you have genuinely repented and changed. Okay? Older brothers, however, should never be the reason, shouldn't stop you from coming home. All right? There's a reason Jesus includes this in the story. He tells us to the prodigals, expect not everybody to be happy about you, but he says to the older brothers not to be this way. The problem is, though, and I just got to be gut-level honest with you guys right now, the problem is, is that sometimes the older brothers have a point. See, guys, I've learned to be skeptical of prodigals. Bet you didn't see that one coming. I don't want to be that way. I hate being that way. But that's what life has taught me. I've seen so many turnarounds, conversions, big promises that turned out to be nothing but talk. You know that that's one of the things you see as a pastor? You know that's one of the most heartbreaking things as a pastor that you see? You see someone that's just fired up to give their life to Christ. You baptize them and they're fired up for about a, eh, two, three weeks, maybe two months. You never see him again. Back to the pigsty. You have no idea how many prodigal son moments I've seen in 21 years of ministry. Only to see them, like I say, go right back to the pigsty. So we need to be skeptical, not condemning, but skeptical. I've learned to wait and see. See, guys, I'm not an older brother in the fact that I won't celebrate and I won't go to the party, but I usually wait about six months and then go to the party. I want to see if a person's change is genuine simply because I've been taken in by big promises. They were very emotional and very sincere and very short-lived. So here's my admonition to prodigals, to all the prodigals out there joining us online here in person. Here's my admonition to you from a pastor that's been doing this for 21 years and has seen it all. Don't make any big promises. Don't look at me and say, from now on, I am kicking all my sin to the curb. I am back in church. I am ready to go. And from now on, it's nothing but Jesus. I don't say that. Because when someone looks at me and tells me that, I know it's only a couple weeks before I never see them again. The bigger and more emotional the promise the prodigal makes, the less likely they are to stick with it. This is what I would love to see if you're prodigal and you've destroyed your life in a distant land and you've experienced the full consequence of your sin and you have come to your senses and you're back. Let me tell you what I would love to see. I'd love to see no big promises. I would love to see you quietly, day in and day out, week in, week out, year 
and year out, decades long, quiet faithfulness to God. That's what I would like to see. Because those are the ones that really mean something. The bigger and grandiose, more grandiose the promise, the less we're going to see of you. I know that now. Okay? Don't make the big emotional promises. Don't say from this point, I'm telling you. No, no, no. Day in and day out, quietly live out your faith. That's what I'm asking for you. See, when the prodigal son came back, it wasn't a big fanfare. What did he approach? He said, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. I will be overjoyed, Dad, if you'll just let me live in the bunkhouse as one of the lowest servants. I'll wash people's feet in this household if I have to. See, that's what God wants. That's what he wants because that's, when you do that, he knows that you're in for the long haul. Whatever you do, whatever you do, prodigals, Stop giving the older brothers reason to doubt you. Stop the wild yo-yo and the roller coaster of the big promises and then the falling away, the big promises and the big declarations and then the falling away. Stop giving the older brothers fuel. Stop proving them right. And a lot of times, the quiet faith lived out daily and weekly, and monthly, and yearly, with consistency. That is the life that wins the older brothers over. Because time and consistency silences all critics. Older brothers should never be the reason you don't come home. That should never be the reason you don't come home. I know this is a big deal for some people. You've walked away from God. You've experienced the full consequences of your actions. You've, you, you've come to your senses. You've done all those things. But you're afraid of what people will think when you come back. I get that. Because especially people that you told you in the first place not to go. They begged you not to go. They begged you not to try that substance. They begged you not to go to that party. They begged you not to leave your spouse. They begged you and they implored you. And you may have, you just walked, maybe you mocked them, maybe you ridiculed, maybe you even hurt them on your way to the distant country. And now you can't face them, right? Coming back to faith means you'd have to really face the music. You're not sure if these people are grace-filled. Matter of fact, you're pretty sure they're not grace-filled. Older brothers shouldn't stop you from coming home. An older brother in your life, in your family, in your church, should never be the reason you stay in the pigsty. Okay? Come back. Because the only one that matters is your father, not the older brothers. I want to invite the band to come on back up. And as the band comes up, I just want to ask you, have you come to your senses Remember, your whole life doesn't have to be in the distant country. You just be a part of your life that's in the distant country. Have you come to your senses and realized that God is better? Better than anything else in the distant country. He's better. Have you come to your senses? Have you realized that your father is good? Have you realized that your walking away was a relational break and now only a relational restoration can bring you back from that pigsty? Have you realized that? Have you come to your senses? We pastors live for that moment. 
We live for that moment when people do that, and that's why we're here for you. If that is you, I want to know. Tell me. I want to pray with you. Send me a message on Facebook. Pray with me. Come find me after church. I'll pray with you, whatever it takes. But, guys, have you come to your senses? And the beautiful thing about this parable is realizing that the Father, he let you go. He let you walk away. But he's watching, sitting on a hill, maybe with binoculars, watching the direction that you left, waiting to see your silhouette appear on the hillside because you're his son or his daughter. He recognizes your gait. He recognizes the way you walk. He recognizes from a long way off. He's sitting there watching. And when he sees you coming back, after you've come to your senses, he runs out to meet you. I said, my son, my daughter, they're home. Let's have a party. And God will be that way till the day you die. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for being that kind of father. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, so many of us are in the distant land right now. We may even be in the pigsty. Whatever it is, Lord, we've wrecked things. And we're sorry. And I pray that the people in here and joining us online will just realize how good you are and that they will come back to you. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.